Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another episode of That's Truth. I trust that you're doing well this evening. I'm Nathan Owens and sitting across the desk from me this evening is Pastor Dr. David Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Good evening, Brother Nathan. Good evening those who are listening. Before we go any further, I want to encourage you, as I often do, we are thrilled that you have joined us this evening, excited, and we look forward to your interaction. Thank you in advance for your interaction with us this evening. But we don't want just you listening. We want your neighbor listening, your friends, your relatives, and you can encourage family and friends anywhere in the world. If they have internet, they can listen also. Encourage them to listen at www.radiolighthouse.org. All you have to remember is radiolighthouse.org, and they can listen online. So encourage someone else to tune in to That's Truth, and we have just about 90 minutes left in the program. This evening we're discussing one of the oldest institutions in the Western world. It has one of the largest followings of any organization on Earth— 1.3 billion people worldwide are baptized into the Catholic Church. This is one in every seven people on this earth is baptized a Catholic. That makes the Roman Catholic Church the largest organized denomination in Christianity. Now, Pastor, before you throw me out of the studio, I use Christianity very loosely there. But I want to start out with the question, is the Roman Catholic Church a cult, and why are we discussing it in this series on cults and new religions? I haven't seen any uh, book on cults that uh, include the Roman Catholic Church. Um, generally speaking, it's not perceived as a cultic group, but uh, there are cultic features. Uh, for example, you have an infallible pope. Okay. You have extra-biblical source of authority in addition to the normal Bible. We have the 66 books. They've got the about 15 books called the Apocrypha. In addition to them, they also believe that uh, church tradition has equal authority. And then when the Pope speaks ex cathedra, whatever he says about faith and practice uh, is divine and comes directly from God. So those are some, some elements. And not only that, they've added uh, a lot of different uh, rituals and uh, practices that are clearly non-scriptural and biblical. And when it comes to the doctrine of salvation, which is a core issue, uh, Catholics have moved away from justification by faith, and works becomes a necessary part to salvation. If you take those elements into it, there are cultic features of the Catholic Church, but substantially they hold to the major doctrines that we would hold to the Trinity uh, 
the inspiration of the Bible, the the virgin birth, uh, Christ's um, death, his vicarious atonement, um, all of those core doctrines that we would hold within the Christian faith, the Catholic Church hold to, in addition to these other factors that they've brought in. Would the fact that they say salvation is found exclusively in the Catholic Church, would that be another cultic tendency? Yeah, that would be another cultic feature because remember that all of the cults um, basically believe that they are the exclusive um, company of the saints. And they also believe that they were chosen by God specifically uh, to bring a final message uh, to this closing terminal generation. Uh, but the idea that only salvation is found within the Catholic Church, that would be a cultic feature because no Protestant uh, would hold to that position. We've all believed that there are different denominations, there are different Christian denominations, and they vary in terms of their doctrine, their beliefs, and their practices. But I, uh, I don't think of any, not even a Baptist institution would claim that they are exclusively the domain of the saved. Um, so I think that would be another cultic feature. So why are we discussing them tonight? Are you here just to criticize the Pope and, again, make yourself feel good? <laughs> uh, it's not that. I think a lot of people uh, have put their minds in neutral. And there are so many people that are following the Catholic Church that have not even got the slightest idea of what uh, beliefs they got that are totally contrary to Scripture. And they're not even aware as well. I, I, I believe that because I speak to Catholics and, and I um, tell them that this is what the Catholic Church believes and they would say, but I don't believe that. So I think there's a lot of uncertainty uh, uh, in terms of what people understand with the Catholic Church. And quite frankly, I think if people were not mentally lazy and would take as much interest in things that are spiritual and do some research and study the, the Catholic movement and what they believe and how they've inter interjected and introduced a lot of non-biblical teachings and doctrines and practices, I think they would be inclined to move away from the Catholic Church. I really believe that. Uh, but I think that people are just, uh, they seem to be interested in everything except uh, spiritual truth. And they have left the spiritual knowledge to the priest or the pope, and they themselves are not prepared to do any kind of research or any kind of examination of the facts to try to come to an understanding of what the church believes. So I think it's important that we look at the Catholic Church because um, uh, there are a lot of things in the Catholic Church that are clearly unscriptural, praying to Mary, uh, uh, the, the purgatory, uh, praying for the dead, the uh, treasury of merits. Is it a biblical principle, though, that I should be going and digging into Scripture myself and questioning whether the spiritual authority, pastor, or priest is actually speaking truth? That should be the norm. But as I said, uh, for some reason, it seems as though we are living in a generation where people are not um, in any way prepared to find out for themselves. They pretty much come to church. The Bible is closed during the week. It's only open on Sundays. And uh, there are no family devotions. There's no Bible reading. Uh, there's no examination of what is being taught. It's just a general malaise, spiritual malaise, where people accept whatever is being preached and taught. Uh, but it should be that we should examine the Scriptures and try to discover. Because, listen, this is about eternity. This is about our destiny. Uh, this is not something we should play with or fool around with. This is absolutely a matter of supreme importance because it determines where we go after life. So I think it's important for us to look at these matters. 
Let's start by going back to the history of the Catholic Church uh, and maybe even incorporated into that a little bit of the church history just to remind us what all was going on uh, after the the New Testament uh, believers, Paul and Peter, transition us from that to where the Catholic Church is now. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the best summary of uh, the whole history, church history including the Catholic Church, is um, if you were to read Revelations chapter 2 and 3, where those seven churches represent the different periods of church history. Um, But generally speaking, for the first, uh, from 30 AD to about 100, you've got the apostolic period, where you've got the apostles alive, and uh, you've got scripture being written uh, by the apostles, because the New Testament as yet had not been written. Then between 100 to 300, you've got the period of persecution, where the church was uh, trying to survive. Uh, You had imperial rule trying to um, completely extirpate the church, destroy the church. Would that have been Nero? Uh, That's Nero, pretty much the the Roman emperors. Remember that Caesar was deemed to be God, and uh, Christ, the believers were saying Christ is Lord, and the Christians refused to say that Caesar was Lord. And this created an antipathy between the Roman Empire and the Roman rulers and the the, the the Christian Church, and then so for about uh, from about two hundred a hundred to three hundred, you've got the the persecution period, and then from three hundred to about five hundred, you have the period where Constantine, um, having had a victory, uh, having seen a sign of the cross, uh, supposed to be emblazoned. In, in the sky while he was uh, going to a, a battle. Uh, he was told to conquer in this sign, and he was successful. And when he became the, the emperor, uh, he legalized Christianity in 312 AD. This was the marriage of the uh, the civic civil rulers with the church. And so once the church had now made the official religion of the, the Roman Empire, uh, the emperor now conferred all kinds of honors and bishops, etc., etc. So the church now uh, created the greatest error uh, in, in its history, where this marriage between politics and the church uh, became they became bedfellows, and this led to the entire corruption of the church. Um, and then, of course, um, after that happened, you got from 500 to 1500, you got the period of the Dark Ages. This is where the dominant Catholic Church virtually controlled the world. When the Roman Empire um, in the West uh, ended about 437 um, AD, it left a void in the vacuum. And the Pope and the Roman, Roman Catholic Church there in Rome took over and became the unifying force all over the world. So the Pope now became more powerful even than the emperors. And, uh, so he was the most powerful person most per- on, on earth. He, he, as a matter of fact, he made one emperor stand out in the cold until he, he repented. And this was <laughs> one of the most powerful political leaders of the time. He had tremendous power. He could, uh, he could uh, excommunicate you, and he can pronounce an interdict uh, over a nation where they could not get communion. They could not have the benefits of the of the of the church for the whole nation. Uh, for the whole nation. So uh, you're talking about wielding power. That was power. But uh, so, but then during the Dark Ages um, is when the church had so much control 
uh, people were totally ignorant of the Bible. Uh, the church did nothing substantially to inform the public uh, so that you had people who couldn't read. And remember, a lot of these services were not held in the vernacular of the people. A lot of the church service was done in, in, in Latin. So if you didn't understand Latin, uh, the service was conducted in Latin. The preaching was done in Latin. But uh, So you didn't understand exactly what the Bible was teaching. And, of course, the the, the uh, priests, etc., were given tremendous power. Uh, so the people looked up to them. Uh, any man that can change bread into the body and, and uh, wine into blood has got tremendous power. Any man that could give you extreme unction in your last dying moments and remove all your sins. Any man that you need to confess to and confess all your sins and he can give you oblation uh, as a result of your penance. Uh, he can either um, forgive you or not forgive you. Uh, this is a tremendous power that the, the, the priest had. The priest makes that decision, of, not of course, Jesus Christ. You see, the, the whole thing with the Catholic Church is that they gave so much power to the priest. He's the one that absorbs your sin. You must go to confess to him. You don't go directly to God. You go to him because he is the in-between you and God. So you were totally dependent on the priest. And that kept people in darkness, still keeping people in darkness today, uh, and so on. Well, what happens if you do everything that the priest tells you to do, and then at the end of your life you've passed away, and then it's come out to find that the priest is a complete fraud, uh -huh. then... Well, that's, that's why we need to talk on these, this type of matters on the, on, the, on the radio, because there are people who have more faith in the priest than in the Bible, and that's the problem with the Catholic. Uh, rather than go to the Scriptures and see what the Bible says, it is what the priest says, it's what my church says. And uh, this is going to be the great disappointment of so many of them, that they're so calculating that because they've done the Mass, they've done the Confession, they've done the Penance, they've bought the indulgences, uh, they've done everything the Church have told them to do, and then in that day to discover that this is not what the Bible teaches. Uh, these things that have been added to the Church as part of uh, gaining salvation, uh, these are just accrescences that have been added to the church, and they're totally non-biblical. And that is why we need to uh, inform the public that let your faith and confidence be in the Word, God's Word, not in the church, not in the pope, not in the pastor, not in the priest, and only follow a pastor, a priest, or whoever, if that person is in line with Scripture, because the Bible is the final authority. Now, you were roughly in the timeline of church history. I think you were around 500 A.D., uh, where does the Reformation fall? The Reformation, remember, occurred in the 16th century. Uh, that was when Martin Luther uh, nailed his 95 Theses, uh, I think in 1519 or 1517, so it was about the 16th century. So for a thousand years there, the Roman Church, Catholic Church for had dominated. Correct. From 580 until 1580, it's called the Dark Ages. And this is where the idea of salvation was completely lost. The, the, the were there, you say completely lost. Were there people that were saved during that time? Well, uh, let me put it this way. There have always been a remnant. Okay. You have the, uh, the Waldenses, the Albigenses. Uh, you've got the Anabaptists. You've got uh, those that were never part of the, the Catholic uh, flow of Catholic history. So you've always have had a, a remnant. But uh, in that period of time, 500 to 1500 AD, the Catholic Church kept people in darkness. Uh, you couldn't read the Bible. If you read the Bible, you were burned at the stake. Uh, 
If you translated the Bible in the language of the people so they could understand it, you became the enemy of the church. You were hunted down just like the Gestapo would hunt you down or the CIA or uh, the Russians would run you down. And uh, so the Bible was only to be interpreted by the priest. He's the only one that had a proper interpretation of the Bible. So the people were living in total bland ignorance. And the church kept them in ignorance because they would not put the, light, the, the Bible in the vernacular people so they can read and understand for themselves. It's only during the Protestant Reformation that reversed all of that uh, because Luther and those guys believed that men should be able to read the Bible for themselves and allow the Holy Spirit to instruct them. They don't need a pope. They don't need a, a priest to confess to their priest unto God. There's only one mediator between God and man. So let me ask you a question. Those people who were blindly misled by the church during that thousand years during the dark ages will they go to hell are they held accountable for their sin they they thought they were doing what was right well let me put it this way um, ignorance of the law doesn't absolve you from the consequences of your ignorance I can go down into town and park in the wrong location but again, it's my responsibility to find out what the rules are, what the regulations are. Uh, the, let me put it this way. People are going to be responsible for their actions. Uh, those people that followed the church and were misled by the church for centuries. Uh, if they did not put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they are as lost as the worst heathen on planet Earth. Uh, but those that misled them will carry the greater consequences as well. So this is why um, it is so important to be very open with the Scriptures and not to hide the Scriptures from people. That's why it's important to have the Bible in your own language so you can understand. Religion is a matter between you and God. It's a personal matter. Uh, the church is there to move people in the direction of God, but the church is not a substitute for God. It's to lead people to God, not to the church, not to the Pope, not to the pastor. But the Catholic Church has always had this dominating dominating um, ambience about it where everything is hierarchical and everything leads to the Pope. And the priests and the Pope and the bishops and the cardinals, uh, these are the ones that God has vested uh, his truth in, and they're the ones who can properly interpret the Bible. We don't believe that as, as Protestants. We believe that God has given to man a mind, and the scripture was given for man to be under, to be understood by everybody. And that's why we've always put so much emphasis on education and also an open Bible and a Bible in the vernacular of the people. So there wouldn't have been uh, religious educational institutions that the common man could go to during the Dark Ages? Yeah, they, they've always had... Um, Institutions that people could get to, but the problem is the problem with that is that the church dominated. Oh, they filtered. What they yeah, learned. not only that. Don't forget, you could not have a Bible and read a Bible. Uh, remember that they burnt Bibles, even when they were translated in the vernacular. People they were burnt. Don't the forget, Catholic Church burned Bibles. Oh, not only burned Bible, they burned Christians. Real, authentic Christians who were trying to get the gospel out to people. And if you deviated from the Catholic doctrine, like you didn't believe in the Eucharist, the way the Catholic believed, transubstantiation, where the wafer becomes the body of Christ and the wine becomes the blood of Christ, if you didn't believe in that and you didn't believe it imparted any kind of grace, you were burnt to the stake. You were seen as a heretic. If you didn't believe in purgatory, if you believe in the infallibility of the Pope, uh, it's incredible. Uh, how the Catholic Church has gotten away with such mayhem 
and yet survive. And my only explanation why it has survived this long is because God has an ultimate purpose for it. And of course, if you read the book of Revelation, she is seen as the great whore that will bring all the religions at the end time and move them in the realm of the Antichrist. So she has, a, there's still a purpose there. But uh, anyone reading its history, understanding the popery and the miriolatry and all these other forms of uh, paganism that enter the church, one wonders how can intelligent people with an open Bible embrace a faith of this nature. Uh, it just bamboozles me that uh, it still has such power over the minds of people. You're listening to That's Truth. You're listening to the voice of Pastor Dr. David Murphy, and he is explaining how the Catholic Church uh, and their teachings align and compare to Scripture. Do you have a question about something that Pastor has said? Maybe a concern about something that he has said? Maybe it's a question about something completely unrelated to this evening's topic? We would love for you to call in. You can call one 462 7420 Again, this is an interactive program, and we Look forward to your interaction to be put live on the air. The phone number is 268-462-7420. Maybe you'd rather not call and be put live on the air, but you still have a question and you would like to ask Pastor Murphy the question. Uh, you can send it via WhatsApp or text message to one 782 1454 WhatsApp or text 268 7821454 For those of you that are joining us on Facebook Live, thank you for joining us this evening. If you're listening in Antigua or if you're listening in the Caribbean or maybe you're listening online from the US or the UK or Canada, thank you very much for joining us and we are glad you are part of this discussion this evening. Time across the Eastern Caribbean is 6 minutes until 8 p.m. Pastor Murphy the church, the Catholic Church, the history of the Catholic Church, they, correct me if I'm wrong, but they claim that their history goes back to Peter, correct? That correct. he's the first that, pope? That's the claim. That's the claim. There's what's called apostolic succession from one to the other. No, you say, you emphasize the word claim. Uh -huh. uh, can it be proven? Uh, what's the biblical approach when discussing that? There's no um, historical evidence that there's anything called apostolic succession going from Peter from one to the other. Uh, that is a figment of their imagination, but it is absolutely essential for the very foundation of the Catholic Church where you, you, you top down, basically, and to give a pope infallible power uh, that he can speak ex cathedra and everything he says is totally infallible. Um, you have to create that, that, that nexus between Peter and every succeeding pope. Uh, it is just the same thing as, I don't mind me saying this in another way, but we just discussed the, the, uh, the Mormons. And notice that the Mormons have to have um, Christ's visit, and they have to have the conferral of the Aaronic priesthood. And then Peter, James, and John had to confer the Melchizedek priesthood. Uh, it's important that, because everything is about the priesthood, but you notice where it's coming from. One coming from Christ and one coming from Peter. So it's a succession, the whole idea. And remember that they also claim that there are the succession of apostles. They got 12 apostles because this has been handed down from the apostles who visited them after uh, in, in, uh, in the 1800s and uh, passed it on to them. They're, they're trying to create this, this, this link 
because everything is about authority, where you get the authority. No, that's the essential difference between the the Baptists, between the Protestants and the, the Catholic. The final authority for the Protestants and for the Baptists is the Scriptures. That's not the case with the Catholic Church. The final authority is not just the Scriptures, but it's tradition, and it's also the 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 uh, the Pope and his infallible uh, bulls that he would send out and encyclicals speaking ex cathedra. So you have an ongoing but source me, of revelation. Let me interrupt you there because you're saying the Catholic Church, the final source is in Scripture, but they would say that in Matthew sixteen nineteen it says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, uh-huh. and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And that's Jesus speaking to Peter. Uh, so, no, not just to Peter. He's speaking. Uh, indicates that Peter. Peter was given the keys. We know that, and we know that Peter in the Book of Acts. So, isn't that proof that he's the first pope? Uh, no, there's no. As a matter of fact, if you were to read, well, let me ask you a question. Uh, let me show you how he could not be the first pope. Very simple. Number one, Peter was married. Going to the passage where he had a mother-in-law. He had a mother-in-law, so yeah. Peter was married, so he could be a pope in the first case. Okay. The other thing, when you read the Book of Second Peter. Uh, people said uh, uh, to, about his leaders, not as lording over the flock. And then, uh, again, when you go to the book of uh, Acts, who is the one that has the supreme authority in the book of Acts when they have the council? It's not Peter, it's James. Mm-hmm. He's the one that's the head, basically, of the group there in, in the first apostolic group. So if Peter had been the pope, he would have been the head. He would have been the head, but clearly mm-hmm. it's James is the one who has the authority. Uh, but... Um, so there's no real historical evidence that there's any such thing as a succession of, 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 of uh, uh, apostolic authority, one going from one apostle and handed down from Peter, on and on and on and on. It's just a figment of their imagination, uh, creative religious thinking, but just pure mythology, basically. But why do you need it? We don't need it because we have an infallible Bible, so we don't need a succession of apostles, etc., etc. The authority of Scripture is final for us, so we don't need any man who is handed off his authority and, and, and on down the line. But that is the one of the big deceptions of the Catholic Church, and because people are not aware of the history of the Church and the fact that uh, Peter had a, a wife and reads Peter's second epistle, uh, Peter doesn't come across even in his epistles as anyone lording and absolute control of the church. Christ is the head of the church, not the Pope. Yeah, how would they deal with the fact that Paul had to admonish Peter when it was uh, wasn't about talking about the Gentiles or what he was eating and all? C- correct. That's a good example in the book of Galatians where mm-hmm. um, before um, the brethren came from Jerusalem, uh, Peter associated with the Gentiles. And then as soon as the Judaizers came down from uh, Jerusalem and came to Galatia where Paul was, Peter withdrew himself, and, and Paul withstood him to the face and tell him, this is wrong, you're, you're not practicing Christian liberty and Christian freedom. So um, how could he be the Pope? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's, I don't want to see, see, it seemed very comical to me, though, that when with an open Bible today, uh, any person with any reasonable level of education, have an open Bible, has an open Bible. And to read the Bible, it is very, very clear. Uh, if there was ever going to be a pope, it couldn't be Peter, probably be Paul. But the, the, the Paul never claimed to be a pope. Peter never claimed to be a pope either. Right? And the other thing, the word pope means what? Father. Okay. Papa. 
And again, Jesus said, let no man call you father. Let nobody say that you're a spiritual father. Uh, to, to apply this, this, uh, this uh, particular title uh, to Peter or any of the other apostles is going contrary to even what Christ said should be. Anything else that you'd like to add about the history of the Roman Catholic Church or maybe the the legacy of the popes and the, the historical pattern of the popes? Well, I hope that sometime, uh, maybe not tonight, but maybe the next session, I hope that we can get to deal with some of these popes because okay. they were some of the most notorious uh, in moral and some of the most criminal people you ever meet. How in the world they could come into succession of the great Peter and handed down. Some of them were known for adultery. Some of them were known for murder. Some of them were known for uh, living with prostitutes. Some of them dug up graves and stole what it was when they did grave. I mean, you're talking about really, really bad characters. But yet, these are in the lineage of this so-called apostolic succession. So when we begin to talk about some of these notorious popes, uh, those that are not aware of it, and this is, again, this is common knowledge. If I were Catholic, uh, you can go online and Google uh, the history of the popes. There's a book, actually, that I got virtually free on the history of the popes. Uh, it's a book that you read it, you're like reading a, a, a saga. Uh, it's not as though this is spiritual people. There are one or two, some of them are spiritual, mm -hmm. but generally speaking, some of them are some of the most cruel, notorious, immoral people that you ever read about. Um, uh, so I think that is going to be important. The other thing is going to be the fact that the Catholic Church, in order to stifle uh, knowledge of the Scripture, um, the slaughter of godly men, uh, Cranmer, I'm thinking about right now, I'm thinking about John Huss. Uh, you're talking about men of faith, real, genuine, authentic people that were burned at the stake because they differed with the Catholic Church, not on what the Bible taught, but on what the Church itself was teaching. And uh, it is a sad fact with the Inquisition, etc. Good evening. We have a caller from Belmont, Antigua. Thank you for calling, and good to have you on the program. Yeah, good afternoon. Um, good evening to Pastor Murphy and to you, the host, and to the listeners. Good evening. I just called to support Pastor Murphy and his prep over tonight. Just in support, right? Mm -hmm. I'm in total agreement with what he's saying and his usual, his usual scripture references to prove his point and to prove that um, he's speaking the truth, okay? Now, the word Pope, as you said previously, is a Latin word, and it means father. Right. And the Bible says one is Call no man father, which, as Pastor Murphy said, it means it's in the spiritual sense. Yeah. So what they're doing by referring to the Pope as Holy Father, they're blaspheming. Appreciate that, sir. Thank you so yeah. much for calling. Right, good. Yeah, yeah. I continue listening. Thank you, sir. Thank you for the call. Appreciate it. And keep encouraging others to listen to the program also. Appreciate you being a faithful listener. The time is... Three and a half minutes after 8 p.m., you're listening to That's Truth on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. We're broadcasting from the island of Antigua on 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, and online at www.radiolighthouse.org. If you have a question for Pastor Murphy, you can call and be put live on the air. The phone number is 268-462-7420. Maybe you'd rather WhatsApp or text your question. You can send it to 268-782-1454. Pastor Murphy, 
usually I've been asking this question as we wrap up sure. discussing a religion, but I think it's safe to say that there's a little aspect of every organization or every religion, something that they're doing well or something that we can learn from. Uh, is there something that comes to your mind that we can learn from or that the Catholic Church has done well that we can be admonished by in our uh, Christian lives? There are a few things that um, I can think of. Uh, number one, I, I really think that they've really put a lot of emphasis on education. I mean, a lot of the good schools in Antigua, all over the Caribbean, in, in America, a lot of the, the good schools, outstanding results, uh, the Catholics, they've really done a fantastic job in terms of, I'm talking about secular education now. Um, I think that's a commendable feature. That And, and by the way, uh, they integrate their Catholicism with the teaching of secular subjects. I think if you go to a Catholic school, uh, there are certain religious things you've got to believe, and, and they drill that into you. So they, 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 they use this, the secular education to indoctrinate people. I think that's a, a good thing in the sense that if it was, if the things that they were teaching uh, were truth. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that's a, a thing that we as uh, Christians can do, that we can, you know, we've got our own school. And uh, of course, um, some of the leading schools in the island are, are, are private Christian schools. Uh, so I think that's a good thing. The other thing I, I think I admire about the Catholics uh, is the fact that a lot of them uh, instill great discipline in their children from a very early age. Things like regular prayer, uh, reading the scriptures. Um, I think that's an extremely good quality. Uh, I'm a first-generation believer, and I struggle in my own spiritual life, especially my prayer life, mainly because I didn't have that kind of discipline as a young child. So I, I think that that is good in terms of the, 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 the Catholic. I think that's a good feature of the uh, Catholicism. And there's no doubt um, that by emphasizing uh, such things as, as penance and, and those kind of things, uh, even though it's a distortion, that the idea that you need to seek forgiveness and pardon uh, I do feel that they keep the concept of God uh, very high in your mind and in your thinking. Uh, so I think the fact that they're, and, and all of that, they are against a lot of things that we are against. For example, they're, they, they, they fight against abortion, which in America, 1.3 million uh, kids are, ki are murdered every single, I didn't say killed, murdered every single year. The Catholic Church is against abortion. Uh, I think that's an asset. Uh, and I think that also they also involve a lot of charity work around the world. We remember Mother Teresa helping with the poor. Yeah. Uh, I think those are good things. Sometimes they have hospitals. I can think of St. Jude's Hospital in St. Lucia when I was living there. Uh, so in terms of social work, medical work, education, um, I think they've done a, a, a good job. But from a religious standpoint, they have misled oh, yeah. billions I, uh, and billions that, that's of people. Sad, that's the sad thing about it, to be very honest with you. They've added all of this paraphernalia uh, to the Christian faith. Uh, they've brought in uh, so many false doctrines. And again, these are not doctrines that are found in Scripture, but they depend on apocryphal books, they depend on tradition, they depend on what the Pope says. And, and that's the tragedy of the Catholic Church, that the final authority is not the Scriptures. And as a result, there are a lot of uh, um, hedonistic ideas, pagan ideas that enter the church. 
um, uh, I mean, I can a lot of the feast, uh, a lot of the regalia that they're dressed in, a lot of the uh, the use of candles and use of holy water, all of that came from uh, paganistic practices. I would challenge any Catholic who wants to get a better understanding of where all of this. Um, uh, regalia has come in from all these uh, activities that are uh, coming to the Catholic Church and practices. Read the book by Alexander Hislop called The Two Babylons. It's a fascinating book. I'm in the middle of it right now. Yeah, it draws parallels between what the pagans did and how these were introduced into the into the Catholic Church. But again, once Constantine had made uh, Christianity the religion of the Roman Church, the Roman world, remember that the pagans started coming to the church, but Christianity is such a simple religion. Uh, basically, there are no statues. Uh, you're praying to an invisible God. It's a spiritual thing. And But to attract the heathens, uh, the heathens were accustomed to idols, uh, images. They were accustomed to fancy, priestly dress and gongs. So what the Catholic Church did is that they adopted those things, brought them into the church to attract the pagans who came into the church. And they became members of the church without regeneration. Would you say they also added works to oh, salvation yes. oh, in oh, order definite, to attract? Definitely. The, 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 the biblical doctrine of justification by faith alone was lost by the Catholic Church for almost a thousand years. And that's what the Reformation was all about. Uh, it, brought back to the, it brought back the centrality of uh, salvation by faith and faith alone. And that's where the war continues between the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church. They now call us estranged brothers and sisters. At one time, we were we were outside the pale of Christianity, but now they've reversed that. They now see us as estranged brothers and now trying to reunite uh, all churches together under the umbrella of the Pope. That will never happen with the Baptists because uh, we, we don't, we believe that uh, every church should be independent. We don't believe there's any one supreme person who rules all the church. Nobody speaks ex cathedra and informs. The Bible is the final authority. And we look not to a pope. We look to the scriptures for our faith and our practice. Uh, Pastor, I want to talk a little bit about the Catholic Bible. I actually want to talk a lot about it. But I want to share this quote with you and then get your thoughts on it. Uh, this comes from an article that I was reading today. It says, The books of the Bible were compiled by the Catholic Church. The Bible is a Catholic book. The canons of Scripture, or the books of the Bible, were first formally decided at the Synod of Rome in 382. This decision was upheld at the Council of Hippo, 393 and Carthage in 397. At these Catholic councils, the same 46 Old Testament and 27 New Testament books that appeared in that appear in today's Catholic Bibles were declared to be the inspired word of God. As a side note, approximately 1200 years after this decision was made, Martin Luther and the Protestant reformers removed seven books from the Old Testament. And as a result, most Protestant Bibles are still missing those seven books. So they're claiming the Bible was the Catholic Bible, and then we, the Bible that you and I use today, we stole it from them. Would you agree with that? No, there's no historical. Uh, there is some historical truth in terms of these different councils, et cetera, et cetera. But remember that the Catholic Church, the Church uh, from running right through until the 300 and going into the 500, uh, basically, the church was one ch one church, uh, and the word Catholic means universal. It's not the Catholic Church that we have today. Uh, so that's a myth that people have there. 
Uh, but that's why the word Catholic means universal church. In other words, the church is made up of believers all over. It wasn't just restricted to Rome. Uh, it is only when uh, the, the bishop in Rome was finally viewed as uh, the main bishop. And that happened uh, between the 300 and 500 AD. But there was no pope before that time. So, uh, but the, the, the thing I'd like to say is that the Septuagint, for example, uh, translated about 270 AD, uh, included the, what is called the apocryphal books that the Catholic Church, so long before uh, the date that he just gave you. Yeah, the 397. Yeah, the, the, the Jewish um, canon included uh, not only the 39 books of the Old Testament, but also included the apocryphal books. So that's a false thing to say that the... Uh, what happened, though, is that um, when, during the Protestant Reformation, uh, the whole question came down to authority. What's the authority? And because the Catholic Church had um, not only had the Bible in the Apocrypha, but also added tradition and added the Pope speaking ex cathedra, the concern of the, the Protestant Reformation was to bring people back to the Bible, right? And, uh, and, and that back to the Bible meaning the Old Testament and the New Testament. Because it is between the 400 years, between the Old Testament and New Testament, you get these apocryphal books that were created. Okay. See? So that, that's why they never included those uh, apocryphal books, because they were never seen as inspired. The Jews never included in their canon, uh, never accepted them either as canonical. So, and there's no, there's no profit between that period of 400 years. John the Baptist came on the scene after 400 years, a voice calling in the wilderness. But those books, the Apocryphal books, are, are, are good for historical data. Uh, it deals a lot of, the, especially the Book of Maccabees, talking about the war between Antiochus Epiphanes and uh, the Jews during the Seleucid Empire uh, and the Ptolemy Empire fighting between each other, etc., etc. So there is historical use for those books. But the reason why the Catholics uh, include those books is because it's out of those books that they got purgatory. Okay. See, that when a person dies, you go into a state and you need, your sin, you need to be burned and, and tormented until your uh, temporal sins, that you, you die without confessing sin. So you needed a period of time where you get cleansing in this person. Not only that, praying for saint, to the saints. They got out of those uh, uh, apocryphal books as well. And then they sacrificed the mass as a sacrifice. So if you take those 14 books out, you've got to get rid of the sacrifice, the mass as a sacrifice. You've got to get rid of purgatory, and you've got to get rid of praying for the saints. So how do you do that now? Without uh, admitting that you made a historical blunder, and for all these hundreds of years you've been leading people, yeah. so that you've got people who are concerned that a Catholic died. Uh, he died in grace. Uh, but what happened? He died and he didn't confess all of his sins. So he's now in purgatory. Now imagine you're telling me that I can now, uh, I can pay and buy uh, um, um, indulgence yeah. or I can have a, a, a mass, requiem mass and, and, and pay for that. And I can get my, uh, my father, my mother, or my brother, my sister out of purgatory sooner. It became a bank for the Catholic Church. And that's how, by the way, they built the Basilica. So it became a source of income. Oh, yeah. It's a, the Catholic Church is notorious for the abusing, abusing uh, its religious power uh, to gain income. It's, it's been very, very mercenary and use uh, 
the spiritual claims to uh, fill its coffers to build its lovely buildings and its ornate uh, churches. We have a WhatsApp question, actually two that have come in, one from the UK. Good night. Peter had a wife, so why is it that Peter, they are following or mention his teaching? Well, uh, I think I understand the question there. In other words, I think they're, they're pretty saying that if people, Peter had a wife, wife, why the Catholic Church, uh, because they've mandated celibacy for its its priest. Yeah. I think that's basically what the person is saying. Uh, the reason, uh, Madam, the, whoever is putting this question, that's why it's important to make the Bible your final authority. No pope, no church, no temple, no institution, no bishop is of a higher authority than Scripture. But once you have um, gone away from the Bible as a final authority, and you have included tradition, or you've included an ongoing prophecy or, or some leader, you will always be misled from the Scriptures. And let me say this, when you go away from the Scripture, you're going away from the will and the mind of God, and that puts you outside the pale of Orthodox Christianity. We have a WhatsApp question that came in from the British Virgin Islands, and very good question. Given that the Catholic doctrines are not scriptural, is it possible to be a Christian and Catholic simultaneously? This is something that I think Catholics need to examine, and uh, this puzzles me for a long time as well. I could not be uh, a professed believer and remain in the Catholic Church. I could not do it out of my conscience. Uh, number one, I mean, when we begin to deal with the doctrines and the teaching, we see exactly so many perversions uh, have entered the Catholic Church uh, that are so contrary to the Bible. I am a biblicist at heart, and I think it's important for me to understand that my entire spiritual life, my entire spiritual destiny, my entire spiritual growth is dependent on what God has revealed in His Word. This is the final authority. I will not entertain any teaching or any doctrine that is an extra-biblical doctrine, extra-biblical teaching. This is a man-made imposed imposition uh, that is unscriptural and therefore wrong, contrary to the mind of God, and that leads people to damnation away from the Lord. So I could not be a Christian and remain within the Catholic Church. However, uh, I would say this. I have met people, and uh, from talking to them, I am fairly convinced that they understand the gospel and they've embraced the gospel. What I think happens with a lot of people is a traditional thing. Yeah. Sometimes it's a family connection. Uh, and But not only that, I think it might have uh, overruling fear still that this church has been around for so long. Uh, how could it be wrong? Uh, and it has so many people who have joined the church. And the Pope is almost like a politician. When he goes across the world, he, he gathers great masses of people, that kind of political and spiritual influence. But again, this is where people are putting their trust not in the Scriptures and in God. They're trusted more in man and in the Church. And if people cannot see the, the error of that uh, and the fallacy of that, uh, I think it's because they've got an element of spiritual blindness in this regard. We... Look, the Bible says God has elevated His word above His name. That's the final authority. So I would advise people who are within the Catholic Church, uh, if you are serious about your faith and your connection with God, I would suggest that you do some really uh, careful examination, do a forensic study of your religion, compare that with Scripture, 
And if you see that it is contrary to Scripture, my counsel to you would be to come out and leave it and get into a Bible-believing, Christ-preaching, God-honoring church and serve the Lord. Pastor, we were talking about the, the Catholic Bible, and I wanted to get your thoughts as to why the Roman Catholic Church was so opposed to William Tyndale Tyndale in 1536. Uh, he was executed in 1536. Why were they so opposed to him translating the Bible into the common language, into English? And let me just share with sure. the listener. He was not just executed. He was tried for heresy. He was choked. He was impaled. And he was burned on the stake. And after years after, I forgot how many years after, they exhumed his bones and burned his bones and stood him in the one, of the, I think it's the River Thames. Uh, that is the kind of hatred and animosity they had for him. But here's the reason for it. The Catholic Church believes that the only people who can properly interpret the Bible are their priests, the Pope and the priest. Is that a way to maintain control? Exactly. Okay. And uh, again, um, they believe that if they do not interpret the Bible, the people will be misled because only the church, the Catholic Church, has been endowed with this ministerium, uh, magisterium of people who can actually interpret the Bible. So they are guarded uh, against the Bible being put in the hand of the ordinary man. Now this is where we differ uh, between the, 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 the Protestants and the Catholic. We believe that the Holy Spirit is the teacher. We don't believe that the Pope is a teacher or that the priest is a teacher, not even the pastor is a teacher. We believe that the Holy Spirit is a teacher. He will guide you into all truth. He will illuminate the Bible. And because we believe that every believer is indwelt by the Holy Spirit, we believe that every individual, therefore, has a right to read the Bible for themselves and allow the Holy Spirit to instruct them. Of course, the pastor is there as well to guide them. But again, the final authority is not the pastor. The final authority is the individual with an open Bible, and that is a threat to power. Is that the same reason that you referenced that their church services were held in Latin with the same rationale? It's almost laughable and comical to think that here I am, an English-speaking person. I don't understand a word of Latin, but I have to endure the agony of somebody preaching to me in Latin, which I don't even understand, right? Uh, I remember my wife, um, who was a Vincentian, uh, gave, gave me a joke sometime about her sister, who used to attend the Catholic Church. And uh, at night in a dream, she is repeating the sermon in Latin. <laughs> she doesn't even understand what it says. Yeah. How do you explain that? That doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't make any sense to the average person who has normal intelligence like I have. And this just gives you an idea of the complete ignorance and blindness and control that the Catholic Church had over the minds of the people. I repeat, by giving the priest the power to, uh, to change the bread into the body and the wine into blood, by giving the, pri- the priest the power to absolve you from your uh, temporal sins, uh, by giving the priest the right that you have to confess to him so that he can go to God and mediate for you, uh, you give a priest all that kind of power. He's a man like a superman, and everything is directed towards him. So he has absolute control over your mind. The Protestant think completely different. The Protestant think that God is supreme. God has spoken to us through his word, 
And uh, man, the individual, ought to be able to deal with the Word on the basis that God speaks to him as a result of the Holy Spirit being his teacher. We have a WhatsApp question that has come in from Seaview Farm. Thank you to the individual who has sent it. This is back to the topic of a Christian and a Catholic. Can one be a practicing Catholic and truly saved? And if not, why is, why is Catholicism not defined as a cult since it deviates from the core purposes of Scripture, salvation only in true Jesus? Well, if you label it that way, you probably had to call it an apostate um, Christian denomination because um, I would more label it that way than actually call it a cultic uh, religion because it is really deviated from the major. Look, it is possible for a person to be a Catholic and a Christian. However, it's impossible to believe that by praying to Mary, that she's the core with Dempstrix, okay, uh, that she can offer you grace and salvation. You can never have grace and salvation to uh, Mary. Mary is not a mediator between anybody. There's no prayers that you can pray to Mary that, that will be answered. Uh, if they're answered because God in His grace answers it for you. But Mary can't get anybody's uh, prayers answered. Uh, it's hard for me to conceive how I can believe that my sins are washed away by baptism, infant baptism, my original sins. But that's what you have to believe as a Catholic. When you are baptized, your original sins are washed away. You still have concupiscence or you still have a, a sinful nature, and that's why you need the other sacraments. The Catholic Church basically is not a... Ch Salvation in the Catholic Church really is by faith and the sacraments. That is totally unscriptural. And if a person depending on faith plus works... He can't be saved. How is he going to be saved? Because you only save by faith alone. And that's the damning um, um, problem with the Catholic Church, that there are a lot of people depending on what they're teaching and would give their entire life to that movement. And they haven't gone to the Scripture to see that this is contrary to Scripture. Nobody gets saved by works. Read Romans chapter 3 and 4. The Apostle Paul deals with it completely and explicitly, exhaustively, that uh, if it is works, then you can boast, but no man will boast before God. And that's the tragedy of the Catholic Church. It is so large and so many people belong to it. Its teachings are so erroneous, and people are depending on faith plus works and the sacraments to get them into heaven. If anybody's depending on that, they'll never get there because you're only saved by faith and faith alone. We have a lot of questions coming in tonight, Pastor, and we appreciate each of you who are sending those in. Uh, a follow-up question to a previous question. Are Catholics against marriage among their leaders or for all their members? It's mainly the priest. It's mainly the priest. But again, I, may I say to the, uh, the person who sent in that question, look at the terrible repercussions of that now. That church is reeling at so many um, court cases have been brought up and the amount of money they've had to come up with to pay. You're referring the, to the uh, abuse of the children. The abuse of, 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 uh, of the boys, I mean, yeah. not only the boys either, even the young girls. And you're saying that's because the priests weren't allowed to get married. Of course, because yeah. that's contrary to human nature. Yeah, right? how God created God himself it. said yeah. it's not right for man to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone, okay? God himself endorsed that a pastor should be a husband of one wife. 
he endorsed marriage. Uh, there are exceptions that a person may be given the gift of being a eunuch. The Bible talks about that. Mm-hmm. But the, the, on, the, on the norm, under the average, marriage is the average. And when you impose uh, celibacy on a person who doesn't have the gift of celibacy, you are putting the fox among the hens. And eventually, that carnality is going to come out and the, the, the destruction, the abuse that will happen in secret and then it finally comes out and the whole church, not only just the Catholic, because people just see the church, uh, gets blame for these abuses and these atrocities. What is their basis for not allowing priests to get married? Are you familiar with that? The, the, basic, the basic thing is that in Paul's teaching in Corinthians, where Paul was dealing with a local situation, where Paul said, for example, that the person who is married will care, have to care for the no. spouse, et cetera, et cetera. More responsibility. Yeah, so you can give more devotion to that. But this is not something you can impose on any any person, you should never do it. Uh, it is a norm. Uh, look, let me put it this way. Even Joseph was married. Even Mary was married, right? Peter was married. So uh, how can you now put this into place? But the repercussions are now being felt globally. And I'm not too sure if the, the Pope would be able to change that. Uh, but that would be a significant change if they did uh, in the future. Another question that has come in via WhatsApp. At what point in history was the old meaning for the word Catholic changed to Roman Catholic? I think they're referring to, uh, you had referenced that the word Catholic talks about uh, the universal church. Well, I would think, I mean, I, I can't speak to it definitively. I have to check it, the historical date, if there is such a historical date. But the, the, it became uh, Roman Catholic after the Pope in Rome became the dominant bishop of the time, which is between the three and, three and 500 uh, AD. So somewhere in between there, uh, that, that Roman was applied to the fact that the church was now located in Rome and the Roman bishop became the dominant fa- feature. And that's where, it, but I can't tell you exactly what particular time it actually happened. Uh, I have to check that and maybe get back to you next time. Where does the, and this may be something you want to discuss next time, but where does the Eastern oh, oh, Orthodox... Oh, by the way, let me just say something else, Nathan. Yeah. They only imposed celibacy in 1079 AD. Oh, so that's how Peter could be married. Yeah. <laughs> so it's only, it's only, I mean, it's only, it's, so it's not, not something that uh, you're talking about t- 1079 AD. You're talking about maybe five, six hundred years after uh, the apostolic church. So the popes before that were married. What they said, the bishops before that were married. But this is something that was imposed in 1079. So it is, it is a human um, addition uh, to the Catholic Church. It has no biblical base whatsoever. Where did the Eastern Orthodoxy Church, did that come out of the Catholic Church? Or? Yeah, when the church, when Rome fell in about 537, Okay. Um, the Church of Rome, uh, the, the Roman Empire, the Church of Rome filled the void. And then there was a split between the Church and the Eastern Bloc. Not only that, Constantine had moved his, uh, moved his um, headquarters from Rome to Constantinople. And uh, so the, the shift in power, religious and political power, shifted from the West to the East. And that's where you get the, the Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox Church. But there was a split between the uh, the two 
because you have a new center now, a new capital, Constantinople, uh, somewhere in Turkey, and you have now Rome. But because the center of power shifted to the east, you've got the Eastern Orthodox Church developing, and you've got the Western Church developing. Uh, so that's how that really came about. A WhatsApp message again from Antigua. If the Catholic teaching deems people saved when they are baptized as babies, then why would they see a need for true salvation according to Scripture? Good question. Uh, I think a very valid uh, um, observation as well. And this is the, you know, you don't want to seem as though you um, are tearing down everybody, basically. That's not the purpose of the program. But I wish that people would get back to the Bible to understand what biblical salvation is. And then you begin to see the, the horrible uh, state of darkness that the Western world is in. That you have a church that teaches that your sins are washed away by salvation. You need the sacraments, etc., etc., as part of your salvation. Yet when you come to the Scriptures, you've got the simple teaching that your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, apart from any human works, justifies you before God. So you have an erroneous doctrine being taught within a massive global organization. And uh, to come out now and speak out against that, uh, public opinion would not favor you very much when you seem to be opposing a major religion. But the reason for that is we have literary biblical ignorance today where people are concerned about mathematics and science and technology and IT and all the other disciplines but they're not interested enough to spend some time in God's word to see if the religion that they're following is in line with scripture or deviates from scripture. So they are part of the conspiracy because they remain in a state of uh, spiritual ignorance because they would not inform their minds and search for themselves what my church teaches. Is this a scriptural doctrine? And I repeat, if it is not a biblical doctrine, it's not a biblical practice, it is wrong. And you need to move away from that which is wrong. You're listening to That's Truth. We're broadcasting from the island of Antigua on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, 1160 AM, 92.3 FM. Do you have a question for Pastor Murphy? Maybe it's not a question. Maybe it's a concern about something that he has said during the program this evening. You can call one 462 7420 Or if you'd rather WhatsApp or text your question, you can send it to one 268 782 Or if you are joining us on Facebook Live, thank you for doing that. And you can... Just send your question as a comment on the video feed, and it'll get passed along to Pastor Murphy. Pastor, the structure of the church, I know the Pope is at the top. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, even in my reading, I didn't really see anything about Jesus Christ being at the top and the Pope being under him. It was all about the Pope. Oh. Uh, but other than the Pope, how does that work well, out? Well, then you've got the Cardinals. The okay. Cardinals are the one that selects the Pope. Okay. Okay. Uh, and then, of course, you've got your bishops and your archbishops. And then it fickles down to, to your priests. So it's like the priests, the bishop, archbishop, cardinals, and the pope, basically. That's the substantial what you have in terms of the, the organizational structure of the Catholic Church. And only the pope is the one that can speak ex- ex cathedral, yeah. But he's, he's speaking uh, in his authority as God's vicar. And when he speaks on spiritual matters, 
that is final. That, that's like infallible. As the Pope has declared it, then he can send his encyclical or send his papal bull, whatever it is, and uh, that becomes the law for the Catholic Church. You were referencing early, earlier that some of these popes have a, a very uh, marred uh, historical uh, history does not look on them well. And it's been proven that they were immoral men. Uh, can you share some of those examples? Again, we don't want to just throw things out there, sling mud, but to share some actual facts. Well, uh, let me just mention a few of the notorious popes. Yeah. There, uh, by the way, you can go online and you can Google and you can get a book called The History of the Popes. Uh, you can also go into the Catholic Encyclopedia and they will give you the history of the popes. And So this is not something that the Protestants have written. This is something that even the, pub, the, the Catholic Encyclopedia acknowledged about these notorious popes. But uh, let me just mention um, one or two of them. Take uh, John twelve, uh, Pope John twelve, uh, who reigned from nine fifty five to nine sixty four. Um, he uses palace uh, as a place of prostitution. As a matter of fact, he was killed in the act of adultery by a jealous husband. Now that's yes, your pope for this you. This is an acting pope. Yep. I mean, to be actually murdered by a jealous husband uh, sleeping with his wife. I mean, this is not. This is not. Um, Protestant um, propaganda. Yeah, this is actually what uh, the, the Catholic Encyclopedia would acknowledge as well. So, uh, and then you got Benedict the 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 ninth, who reigned from the ten thirty two to ten forty five. Uh, he became the age uh, pope at age twelve, uh, and he became that way through money and politics. It, it was not the um, the cardinals that elected him. It's basically the use of money and politics. Um, he was known for his criminal activity, which included robbing graves, uh, digging up graves and uh, stealing the like the ring and the stuff like that. I mean, this, this is this is the, a great pope, <laughs> as it were. And then, of course, there's um, um, Athanasius. Uh, he is a uh, Athanasius III, who reigned from nine eleven to nine fourteen. Um, this election of popes was done by prostitutes. I mean, that might seem shocking, right? Instead but of get, the cardinals. Yeah, instead of cardinals. And then Benedict IX, uh, who reigned from 1033 to 48, uh, he was known for incest, he was known for homosexuality, and also bestiality. This is a historical fact. This is, this is your pope, right? And then uh, John XII uh, um, was known for palatial rape, and he used to have massive orgies hmm. within the the compound of the the uh, the purple um, dwelling place. Uh, Paul the third, fifteen thirty three to uh, forty nine, he was known for promoting prostitution. Um, and then there's Urban the uh, second, who instituted uh, torture, institutional torture. And then there was Innocent the third. 1198 to 1212, uh, they labeled him as a genocidal maniac. I mean, he just he just killed people, basically, if you didn't like them. So you're dealing with uh, a lot of characters that uh, of ill repute, uh, people that committed so many acts of atrocities, uh, immoral acts, violent acts, uh, theft, fraud. Uh, remember that the integration of politics and the church 
um, they were so it's just a marriage uh, selling of um, positions within the church it depends on money I mean it, you read the history of it and you're just appalled that people who are supposed to be spiritual giants could, could be so so cupid um, cupidity and uh, so many atrocities but that is part of the Roman Catholic Church history and popery and there's nothing that any of them can deny uh, I've seen a documentary already on the I think it's called the Borgias uh, a, a reign of a family of, of popes and the 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 murder the incest the immorality uh, it, it was done on their life and I, I I watched it one time and I couldn't believe that this was possible within the church in itself but that gives you an idea of the sordid past of the Catholic Church yet it claims to be the one church that has the succession of popes from Pope Peter uh, their character uh, is certainly unworthy of men who would wear the the, the uh, the people go. There was one I was reading about this afternoon, and this is from 815 to 896. Pope Formosus uh, died, and a few months after passing away, his cadaver was exhumed. He was dressed in papal vestments, put on trial for political disagreements, and judged to be unworthy of the papacy. His papal edicts were deemed invalid, and the fingers he used to perform the sacraments were cut off, and his body was tossed in the Tiber River. <laughs> pretty, pretty vivid uh, yeah. illustration given there. There's a couple of more messages that have come in from Antigua. Uh, Pastor, the first one is, This has been a question mark for so long to me. I have read church history and wondered how the Roman Catholic Church can pronounce themselves as the first and original church when the Bible in the book of Acts talks about the Council of Jerusalem, which James, the brother of Jesus, was the head of that council. So how does the Roman Catholic Church prove that claim? Well, we alluded to this in earlier discussion that the fact that James was the preeminent head of the church in the book of Acts. Uh, the Jerusalem Council was held in Acts chapter 15 to settle the matter of the law in relation to the Gentiles. And clearly James is the, the leader there. Um, they, 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 um, in other words, there's no historical basis for this succession of popes handed from Peter one down until the current pope today. But the, the, the Catholic Church, the Roman Church, got the ascendancy between the 300 and 400, uh, 500 A.D. That's when the, the Pope in Rome uh, began to, to wield power. But again, you understand why that happened. The Roman Empire had fallen in 473, and that created a vacuum. The Church was the only uniting force to keep the Roman Empire together. So they became tremendously powerful. The Pope became more powerful than even the civil leader. And they wielded tremendous uh, energy and tremendous power. And that is where the other churches began to look at this leading Pope, in, uh, this leading bishop in Rome. And because of the popularity uh, of him and the power that he wielded um, over time, and people fell away from the biblical truth about the, the local church, the local assembly. Um, this is where you get this, this rise of popery. 
But I agree with you, sir, uh, who wrote it in that clearly at the very in the book of Acts, the leading head of the church there is not Peter. It certainly is James. We have another question that's come in from Antigua via WhatsApp. Pastor, who teaches man the way to God? Is it the pastor or the Spirit of God? I think both. Um, I think the, the key thing, however, here is the individual with the Scriptures. A person who's put their faith and trust in God, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit takes up residence, seals the believer, and he's going to be the teacher. He's the one that illuminates. He'll bring all things to your mind. Uh, he will convict you of sin, of righteousness, of judgment, etc., etc. Uh, if you read the uh, Pauline epistles, the emphasis is placed on the Spirit, Acts, uh, sorry, Romans chapter 8. So the, the teacher should be the individual with the Scriptures and the Holy Spirit. But please remember that the Bible also makes it clear that God has given to this church pastors, evangelists, and uh, different individuals that he's given to the church. Now, at first he had given uh, prophets and apostles, but the prophets and apostles are gone, very clear, because the, the church was founded on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. The foundation had already been laid, and that's why uh, you now have the pastor and you've got the evangelists. Those are the ones that are left but the apostles and the prophets, according to the Ephesians, laid the foundation for the church. We are now building the superstructure. So God has given to the church the, the pastor, and he is supposed to teach. Read the book of First Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 2 when it comes to the office and the responsibilities of a pastor. So he must also teach. So he is to teach the people the Word of God. But again, that does not in any way... Uh, 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 exclude the responsibility of the individual uh, to use the Scripture before God and allow the Holy Spirit to instruct him. And if the pastor deviates from the Scripture, the Scripture is of higher authority than the pastor. You remember, in uh, we talked about this some time ago when Paul went to Berea. Now here's the great Apostle Paul, I mean the most brilliant mind in the New Testament, who wrote, 13 of the epistles. More than Peter? <laughs> oh, a lot more than Peter. <laughs> Peter wrote two epistles. Uh, Paul wrote over 13. Mm -hmm. But here's this brilliant mind, chosen of God. He goes to Berea. He goes into the synagogue. He begins to preach. He begins to teach. And those believers examine what Paul is saying, comparing what Paul is saying with the Scriptures. Because they understood that if Paul deviated from the Scriptures... The problem was not the Scripture problem, but Paul. So they're judging Paul by Scripture. The same must be with any pastor, any leader. That's why it's so important for the individual uh, to allow God to teach him from his word. But that, again, does not mean that God is not going to use your pastor. God calls men into the ministry, and their job is to teach you the Scripture. But uh, always hold your pastor accountable to the finality of Scripture. A Facebook Live question that's come in from Rhonda Grant. Thank you for sending it in. Pastor, how do you witness to people who are so deeply, have such a strong, deep belief in erroneous doctrine? Very good question. I've found it very difficult myself. Um, the problem is, as I keep saying uh, repeatedly on the program, we are living in a day of biblical illiteracy. People, not look, even when I was a boy, we had devotions. I remember my school, um, whether it be the principal or teacher. And this was a public school? Public school. They would read the scripture, they would do a, a sermon, uh, we'll do prayer. Uh, 
some of the songs that I sing and I hear are songs when I was a boy that we sung uh, in, in, in school. So we were aware of the Bible. We knew what the Bible was taught. That is all gone. We are now living in an age where there's a spiritual vacuum. The other factor is that people, for some reason, show great interest in their job, in their family, in their work, um, in every other form of activity, but there's not this serious devotion to spiritual matters. They don't read the Bible. They hardly pray. Uh, I think uh, society's norms have shaped us. Part of it, but I also think the church has failed in that regard because we've not mentored those who got saved early. Uh, If we, when a person got saved, we got them into studying the scriptures and into praying with them. Because, you know, a lot of us, including myself, a first generation, I didn't have a mom and a dad would sit me down at nights and, and, and pray. We never did it, period, until I got saved in my teenage years. So that becomes a, a, a battle, still a battle. But I think if we could mentor people, remember it takes about six weeks to do any activity before it becomes a habit. So we've got to take people and, and to work with them and go into the Bible at least for six weeks. You've got to get them to spend 10 or 15 or 20 minutes in prayer regularly until it becomes a habit. So I think we are partly responsible in that failure. But um, coming back to the question that was asked, you know, this is my biggest problem. I I wish I could say to people, this is wrong. Would you be disposed to let's search together and to see if what your church believes is what the Bible teaches? Um, I haven't met people who are willing to do that that kind of a process. So I think sometimes the, the busyness, the television is a distraction, the computer is a distraction, the phone is a distraction. Uh, we don't, uh, some people are, well, I don't know, I can't speak for everybody, but people don't get up in mornings to spend some time with God anymore. Before they go to night, they're so tired to just jump into the bed. I mean, this is just common features. So it's very, very difficult to deal with people like that. Until you can get a person willing to go into the Bible and study with you, your arguments can't win them. It's the Scriptures that brings faith. So you've got to get them into the Bible and searching the Scriptures together. And if it is possible to say, listen, would you be willing for uh, for us to sit down and spend 15 minutes, maybe a Saturday evening or Tuesday evening or whatever. The other thing that I think I wish could work, uh, our church has talked about it, we haven't implemented it yet. Um, and I, this might seem revolutionary, but it's not revolutionary. But I do feel that the Sunday night service in most churches uh, is so poorly attended. There are some churches that are now using the Sunday night service where families would invite their neighbor to their homes Mm. for a a Bible study, a time of prayer. Now, I can see something like that being uh, possibly the answer to the problem because they're not coming to the church. And uh, we either go to them, and and I think the idea of I'm in a neighborhood and I have Sunday night, and I can say, listen, let's come over a cup of coffee or something. Let's sit down and discuss the book or whatever it is. I think we're more effective than that, than preaching in church to five and six people every Sunday night. I don't know how that would be taken, but uh, I really think it's a strong means of trying to deal with this issue because we have to get people into the Word, especially people who are very, very religious. And uh, it's not as though... They believe the doctrine because they themselves have studied it. It's because the priest has said it or somebody else has said it. But unless you can do a comparison, I don't see how you're going to move that person effectively 
towards the Christian faith and towards biblical orthodoxy until they can see it for themselves. Would it be legitimate then to be spending serious time praying for God to open their eyes and to give them wet an appetite for them to have a desire to spend time in God's Word? I think that is proper, but then again, the, the, the probably the weakest um, activity in the church is the prayer meeting. Hmm. I think anybody that um, I'm speaking in regards to what my observation is, uh, you would notice that, generally speaking, it's a least attended meeting. Yeah. But the Bible says, my house should be called a house of prayer. Yeah. So we may need to spend more time in prayer. You know, I, I'll just share this with you, uh, Nathan, maybe the, the person who's uh, sent in the question as well. I wish that there was a body of prayer warriors. Now, you take elderly people, for example, who are maybe in their homes who cannot go to the church. I wish that somehow the church could tap into that resource and that they could see themselves as prayer warriors so that we could have requests come in and we can say to these people, listen, this is your ministry. And they take it seriously. Now think of what a transformation impact that would have if people who are home all day, they have nothing to do, either they're bedridden, sometimes it's not that they're bedridden, they, they, they don't have the use of their feet, or maybe they're just exhausted, but they can't come out to church anymore. So what, what happens to most of those people? Normally, it's the television for the whole day. Yeah. If it's not the television, it might be the radio. But what if we can transform that into saying to these people, you really want an important ministry, perhaps the most important ministry in the church? Here's the ministry of prayer. And then we can have these people praying for those needs. Um, a person going through a divorce, a person who is demonized, or uh, that you can say, listen, you need to target this person. And yet, when you give it to them, you know they're going to pray about it. I wish we could come to that stage because we have resources uh, within the church, people who have time on their hand who may not be able to come out, or, or shut-ins, that um, I wish we could say to them, listen, let's make this your ministry. And so at a certain time, you've got shut-ins praying for certain needs. That would be an alternative as well. You're listening to That's Truth from the island of Antigua. This is uh, That's Truth, and you are hearing the voice of Pastor Dr. David Murphy discussing some different ways or ideas of how we can effectively reach Catholics, and Catholics specifically, but the question related to people who are Believing very deeply uh, false doctrine. Thank you to your questions this evening. Uh, Pastor Murphy, there was a question I wanted to ask sure. you in the last couple minutes of the program here. Uh, I came across a quote today, and it really uh, disturbed me. The Pope, who's supposed to be the voice uh, in many ways, I guess you could say the voice of God. The vicar of God, correct. Uh, and I was trying to find out what the Catholic Church believes about creation. And Pope Francis, according to this article, a direct quote, Pope Francis stated, The fact that woman was taken from a rib, and then in brackets it says he laughs loudly. I'm joking, that was a joke. The Pope reduced Genesis chapter 2, verses 22 to a mythical status, and he has been admittedly uh, promoting this false, unproven evolutionary theory for decades. How is it that a man who is supposed to be the voice of God 
can mock Scripture, something as basic as the creation of woman. Look, this is part of the apostasy the apostle talks about, moving away from the faith, moving away from the truth. So it doesn't surprise me that a person like the Pope, Francis, would mock creation, would mock uh, the biblical and call it mythology. Uh, This should alarm any true Catholic who believes in the Bible. Uh, That's like me, a pastor, getting up in the Baptist church next Sunday morning and laughing at Genesis chapter 2 and 3 saying, uh, this wasn't true, this is just mythology. What in the world am I doing in the pulpit? I wouldn't last long, I'm very, very sure about Mm -hmm. that. But the problem with the Catholic Church is because you have created this myth that you have a succession of popes handed down from authority, etc., etc. Now, how do you uh, come to the, uh, the realization that this pope that you have is an apostate, that he doesn't believe in creation, he believes in evolution, uh, how then do you deal with that as a Catholic when you already says that he has been handed the authority of the apostolic authority and he speaks ex for the church? So, uh, but the Catholic Church, I mean, has, there's so many evils, uh, so many atrocities committed by the Catholic Church over the years. Uh, there's so many false doctrines that introduced, and yet Catholics just accept it because the church says it. They don't go back to Scripture. So it doesn't surprise me. Uh, for example, capital punishment. You read the previous popes, therefore capital punishment. This pope uh, believes that it is wrong and it's a human right issue. Yeah. Uh, again, but again, you've got one pope contradicting the other. So which pope is right? Which one is in the succession of Peter? Again, the only way to deal with those issues is to go back to Scripture. Go back to Scripture. And this is the failure of the Catholic Church, but it's added tradition, it's added um, um, the magistrium, it's added the, the, um, the, the Apocrypha, uh, and now you've got an infallible Pope. So you have ongoing authoritative teaching and revelation. And I pointed out again and again, as long as you do not see the canon of Scripture as closed, you open a Pandora's box for error. And this is where all of the major cults and all of those that are cultic in some form, because they've opened this door to new revelation, have got all of these false doctrines now being added. And people are accepting them, even though they're contrary to Scripture, because you've got ongoing revelation. You were referencing the Pope's uh, view on uh, capital punishment, and Pope Francis said that, this is in 2018, executions were unacceptable in all cases because they are an attack on human dignity. The Vatican announced on Thursday that it would be adding to the church, adding to the church work would be with determination to abolish capital punishment worldwide. Now let me show you the error uh, right there immediately, okay? He is saying that um, capital punishment is always wrong because it's against human dignity. You read Genesis chapter 9, and the very reason the Lord imposed capital punishment is because of the dignity of man. Very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you Taking the taking the argument from Scripture and they have twisted it, twisted which it, completely make, twisted it. Makes me think of some passages in Scripture where it says that uh, man will twist Scripture. Thank you for joining us tonight on That's Truth. Be sure you join us next week for another interactive episode. Thank you for all your questions. Thank you for the phone call. 
thank you for encouraging others to listen to the program. And next week, we're going to dive right in and look at specific false teachings of the Catholic Church, compare them to Scripture, and give you some biblical references so that you can use that in speaking to Catholics and witnessing to them. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kHz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.